Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. That was like a Gatorade commercial. Can you give that one a hit one more time? Boom. Are we sponsored by Gatorade? The audio only people will not know that I was just drinking from a Gatorade sports bottle. Like a football oh. player. <laughs> you need to get um, someone to like the the water boy that like has to squirt it in like over the face mask though. You need uh-huh. someone to do that for you during the cast so that way you can just stay fully focused hold on one second (laughs) that's the best idea just have you get all those little brother how many little brothers do you have can't they do that for us Mets? yeah they need to they're doing stupid thing called school right now like (laughs) 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 what There you yes. go. Yes. Yes. We'll just is cast a, like this. Is that a lax helmet? Is is that a lacrosse helmet? Is that what that is? What's that? Is that a lacrosse helmet? Hockey. That's a hockey helmet. Have you helmet. been playing hockey? Uh, last winter, yeah. Very cool. That's right. You're in that hockey, hockey league. Mm-hmm. Dude, awesome. That sports bottle there. That's like a real deal athlete on the field. Like that's not your average Joe just working at their at their desk sports bottle. They do sell them at stores though. You don't have to be an athlete to you don't have oh, to show them any like credentials to get one. You're a fraud. <laughs> Speaking of audio only stuff, do you want to show the dog again? I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, sure. Well, oh, gosh, he's like out on the floor. Um, that's early right, in the Gabriel, morning. Come here. Come here. All right. So, yeah, for this is this. Is, oh, oh, my gosh. That dog is a beast. <laughs> He's an actual yeah. horse. Hey, buddy. Morning. Can you say hey to everybody? He's, I think he weighs about 200 pounds. What a beautiful dog. Wow. Yeah. He's, He's, He's a very, star. Very beautiful. Yeah. Morning. Morning, morning. Is he friendly? He's very, very friendly, very, very cuddly. And he, he's awesome because he loves to snuggle and things. But like the other day, he uh, wanted to show me some affection and kind of like pawed at me. Mm-hmm. And it felt like I got punched in the face by Mike Tyson, <laughs> <laughs> but with talons. Yeah. And like the little bitties, the nieces and nephews, they love playing with him. But it's also like you're on the border of actually dying. Cause he's <laughs> a huge animal. Could literally kill you. What uh, type of dog is that? That's a Great Dane. Oh, man. That's a Great Dane, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's our literal silent guest today. Mm-hmm. He embodies dogness in all its forms. <laughs> he does. That's true. <laughs> my buddy... <laughs> my buddy, Father Paul, came over the other night, and we got to hang out and do a little hike. Super beautiful hike up in North Georgia. And... It was like every time he saw Gable, he would have to like react and exclaim like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> just repeatedly. What are you, 
you have a dinosaur in your house. <laughs> it's like he never quite got used to it. Yeah. It was really funny. It is funny that one of the things I was trying to uh, explain in my homily last Sunday that I don't know if I got across was I used the G.K. Chesterton everlasting man thing of like, you can't, it's hard to explain the existence of human beings and evolution and just saying like it took a really long time for the, us to evolve doesn't explain away the mystery of why there's such a freak animal that is hairless and two-legged and makes art and writes poetry and has language and builds civilizations and cities. Like there's not, it's not like there was this gradual thing where like monkeys made kind of crummy cities with bad sewers and dumb, put dumb poetry. And like we came and made better stuff. It was just like this quantum leap up to humanity but then you get used to it and you're just like, oh, yeah, human beings. And they're not that big a deal. Uh, and you even lose your awe in your own humanity. <clears throat> and then the same thing with the, the Christian revelation, like the, the uh, quantum leap in terms of civilization and morality and uh, the dignity of women and th things that like just didn't exist prior to the church. Um, and still, we're not perfect, but we're completely different once Christ had risen from the dead um, in terms of like the the consequences of our behavior and our worship and things like that and i think if if we are not in awe like just looking at gable can make you be like oh my gosh dogness whoa <laughs> you know just a simple instantiation of something kind of ordinary you see it all the time but it's in him it's just for some reason wonderful because he's just like bigger and gentle yeah. <laughs> no uh, it's it's true yeah so if, this... in other words if, if it's not it's like going to mass or or contemplating the mystery of existence isn't is like boring to you then it's not the fault of existence or the mass or any of these wonderful things it's that we are not opened you know so that deaf that, that was what i was trying to get at like the deaf mute guy being opened up like jesus plugs mm. in his fingers into his mouth and ears and says Ephatha, be opened because the the universe is open it's transcendent it's it's not imminent and closed off mm -hmm. um, but we are closed off like our minds and our hearts think the world is just or we get used to like a certain habit of thinking or feeling that's like man this is not that great <laughs> but then you see gable so, and you're like no it's great right something that opens up broadens the horizon hmm yeah, that's good. It reminds me, I just, I've listened to some of, um, I'm almost through it, but Matt Frad interviewed Peter Kraft a few weeks ago. I think it was mm -hmm. just a few weeks ago. Have you listened to this, Mets? Yeah, I did. Mm -hmm. I, I thought it was great. Peter Kraft is, he just seems really, he's phenomenal. like an interview like that makes him seem even cooler than listening to his talks. Um, yeah. But the guy's awesome. But he... He, they were talking about a lot of different things, but he had this definition of sloth that I just thought was really, really cool. And he just said sloth is, it's the inability to love something that is lovable. Hmm. And, and he was just talking about how like the great kind of conveyor of sloth in today's world is just distraction. Kind of always has been, but in, in a particular way, 
in our world today through technology, phones, everything like that. It's distraction makes us slothful, which isn't the same thing as lazy necessarily, but I like that definition of there's this inability, inattentiveness to love something that's lovable. Mm -hmm. So, and it is, it's kind of like you need to marvel at Gable, but mm -hmm. sometimes you don't. Right. And I think that that's what he says is like the, the worst fruit that's bore from sloth is not, um, it's not even necessarily like a, a, disordered manifestation of your desire for God. It's just straight up boredom. Mm. Yeah, he had an interesting line, and I need to listen to it again, but I think he said the greater evil, even than pain, is boredom. Yeah, yeah, which is so wild. Yeah. I thought that that interview was, Matt Frad did a really good job with it, because Kreeft is such an elusive philosopher. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> He would ask him a question, you know, like pretty straightforward type question. And Kreef would give this like really poetic kind of like indirect like answer. And response. Yeah. <laughs> and Fred would just be like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> There's no con- continuity to the to the interview. Yeah, it was it was really like, man, he's doing a really good job with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember I used to give uh I talk every year when I was in seminary to the fifth graders in my parish, my home parish, CCD class. The the mom who did the catechism class made a connection with me, and so she wanted like a vocation talk every year. And um, the sister who was like the DRE and I would give a, a talk on religious life and priesthood, respectively. And every year I'd hone it down to like what as a fifth grader, like what could you possibly understand about discerning a vocation and what God wants you to do with your life? You're just like, you're still playing and like running around playgrounds and you're not thinking about the deeper desires of your heart. You know, you, I mean, you can be inspired to want to be certainly when I was in fifth grade, I wanted to be things, particularly Michael Jordan. Uh, you imagined yourself as an adult and you're like, that would be cool to be that kind of adult. Um, but in terms of like a realistic, yeah, discernment and listening for God's will in your life. And I, I settled on boredom. I thought that's probably like the deepest spiritual feeling a kid has. And I don't know if that's hmm. true, but um, I remember being bored a lot as a child. And um, there's a certain helplessness to it because you, you, you just realize your own poverty that you can't you can't do anything to make yourself happy, you know, no matter how many toys you get, like, you know, you get a, you get a Christmas present or something like that and you're looking forward to getting it and then you get it and you get bored of it. What is that, that feeling, you know, it's running up against the poverty of humanity that we are a question mark to ourselves and we do not have the capacity to fulfill what we ultimately desire, you know, um, Mm. we're dependent on someone else, some transcendent other to provide the thing we, we want the most, which is, you know, permanent eternal communion and the joy that comes from it. Um, so it just using that, like as a little signal, a little semaphore for the kid to be like, there's you're pointed, God is pointing you somewhere. And then I use this goose story, 
you know, the gooses, the geese that are trapped out in the wintertime, that analogy, you ever heard that? The guy, uh, see, the guy doesn't no. go to Christmas, Christmas Eve mass because he doesn't believe, but his wife and kids go and he's like a farmer. So he's sitting there after dinner, looking out the window as his wife and children are at mass and he sees these geese out in his field and it's a snowstorm and he has to, um, get his gloves and hat and coat and stuff and trudge out into the field. And he's trying to help the geese by getting them in the barn because they're, they're lost. and They're going to freeze out there and they won't get in the barn because they're afraid of him. Um, but their fear is keeping them out in the cold where they're going to die. Um, so he, he has this thought like, Oh man, if I could just be a goose for a minute, I could like lead them in. They'd trust me because I'd be one of them. And then the whole incarnation and everything makes sense to him of, uh, you know, why, why God had to do it this way, you know, even though it's too, like too wonderful to, to seem, it seemed like a fairy tale to him until he saw like what love and, and stuff actually looks like. Um, anyways, I, I just use the, the freezing cold as like, that's boredom. It's this signal that you're not where you're, you're supposed to be. Um, Here's Gable. Hey, he's like a shark in water. <laughs> hey, buddy. You, <laughs> you like kind of see him coming just yeah, you see his underneath. dorsal fin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. What is that? What is that? Okay, uh, hey, you got to lay down, though. But you know what I mean? Like, there's, there's, that's desolation, maybe, is the cold, the, the signal that you're, you, isn't that one of the rules of discernment? Like, if you're in desolation, the, to look to act against it you know to notice that you're you're feeling this uh and that you god is leading you in somewhere else to consolation into communion that would be the barn i don't hmm. know yeah i'm not a master on rules of discernment but i don't i, I don't I, think I, any I, of the fifth graders became priests but that was <laughs> not that long ago so they're probably in college now this is still well, time they probably listen to this so shout out definitely to them. Just shout out to all those fifth graders. Mm-hmm. Remember that that story of the geese I told? Do you remember like, that? No, because I was bored. <laughs> I was bored by your talk. <laughs> That's the irony of ironies. I don't remember having that feeling very much as a kid. Like not not being very aware of of that. Did you? Well, you also have had like re- twenty siblings. I think that helps. True, true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean that that that's very true. Uh, I, did you have it when you were a kid, Rob? I don't remember it much. Um, but it's kind of I don't know if it's a little cliche, but it's the whole idea of you, which got outside a lot and um, like just to be able to. Gosh, I mean, we every day. Like we even even not in the summer, we'd get home or whatever from from school, and we'd usually watch like I don't know. I was with my brother all the time. We watched the old show. Uh, I don't. It might be still on ESPN. PTI. You guys ever watch that show? Pardon, Pardon the interruption. interruption. Pardon mm-hmm. the interruption. Yeah. Every day before that, we would always watch Dragon Ball Z. But almost like daily, we would um, just go out to like the hedgerow behind the house and just play you know, out there, yeah. which was, um, yeah. So I, I actually don't remember being bored 
that much as a even as in a school kid. and I probably was in school. I don't really remember, honestly. It, yeah, I think I do remember it in school, but like it was probably more the stupid stuff that I would do in response to that feeling of boredom to try and escape it. Mm -hmm. Like when you're bored and you're a fourth grader and you want to not be bored, but you're also not supposed to break the rules. It's like one of those things is going to win. Right. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. So I wasn't bored very often. (laughs) Oh, but I listened to, it's an interesting deal. There's this guy, Dr. Stephen. I think it's Stephen Blackwood and he did a recent interview with uh, Peterson on his podcast. And this guy, he, he grew up in Canada and um, I'm pretty sure he's a Catholic. I, I, that was the vibe that I caught from him, but uh, he grew up in a farm town up in Canada and is actually founding a college down in Savannah, Georgia. So he's moved down there and uh, I can't remember the name of the college that they're founding, but it's based specifically on the humanities and the guy grew up in the philosophical tradition and has a uh, apparently a pretty great book on boethius and the consolation of philosophy and or his father talked, to go called him boethius 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 <laughs> but he'd just eat the end of it mm-hmm. boethius Boish- Boish- <laughs> uh take this it's <laughs> <laughs> an inside joke <laughs> <laughs> the most epic liturgical voice ever, specifically Her, at the institution best. narrative. Yeah. Um, and Peterson was asking him what got him into the intellectual tradition to be able to, I think, understand like the beauty of existence and creation and the higher order of, of being in a way that allowed him to think about it conceptually. And it was interesting. The way he answered it wasn't like, well, I had this teacher. I read this book. He actually went back to his childhood and said, um, I grew up like working on a farm and I had nine brothers and sisters, like this big, big family. There were 10 of them together and um, they were able to live in a life of um, like relative harmony with each other and with creation that uh, he was so grateful for that essentially what he was saying was it set the groundwork for him to actually think about the higher things because he had lived them correctly in his childhood. So that then when, when he would conceive of the good and how it manifested itself in reality, like you can't think about that stuff abstractly or like in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. And so the formation of his childhood actually it wasn't the idea of the good. It was like the lived good that then allowed him to think about it in a more abstract way. Mm. And yeah, so just mm. trying to think about like, well, how are we able to enjoy some of those higher, higher being metaphysically or ontologically speaking goods. And like a lot of it, you can't just naturally create it because we do have that poverty. And if we, don't know how to think about it and to enjoy the experience of the good because we've never been taught it. Like you can't just create that out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, it reminds me a little bit um, just as another story though, but we had for our priest convocation two or three years ago, but we had uh, Anthony Esselin. I think I may have talked about it on the cast when we had yeah. him. But he, is it, who wrote Paradise Lost? Milton 
Is that right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I think he almost has Paradise Lost memorized, maybe. Esalen does. And because he, I think it was that that he said that he had some just insane line. It was so cool. But he said that he has to be careful to not quote um, the like the the Satan monologues of Paradise Lost because he doesn't want to like lose himself in them. They're that kind of just like deep into the human psyche and human soul. Hmm. But the reason that he wanted to do it was because I don't know if he was a student. Somehow he met like a very simple farmer kind of in his studies. And this guy had memorized the entirety of Paradise Lost and he could just recite it to himself as he was like plowing the fields and everything like that. Whoa. Isn't that crazy? That is amazing. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, it makes sense. Like the implications of not having that growing up, I think it does lead to something like a, a boredom. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't know how to think about the good or to enjoy the good or understand it correctly, um, then you're faced with the beauty of creation and you're just kind of like, mm. right. Mm. You know, it- I got this, I got this YouTube video and then I, I, I dig into that, which gives some immediate stimulation rather than diving into. Well, it's more and more disembodied, you know, like yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about your, we talked about farming a long, long time ago and you brought up the video game Harvest Moon, Mike, I think it was called. Love it. <laughs> Loved it, dude. And to me, Can that. I- that's like archetypal suburban. Just, just like, <laughs> like Paperboy was a video game we played a lot. I never had a paper, paper route as a kid. My yeah. my parents' generation, everybody had a paper route, but we played Paperboy, which was a Nintendo game about being a paperboy. Right. Um, it's like one step to remove. Right. Which just away kind of from like humanity. It, it, it uh, sucks the life out of those things where, I mean, that's the, that I think is the paradox is that, we have this poverty native to us that we can't make ourselves happy, but yet the world is full of wonder and gables and, and, and things in the simplicity of it, you know? Um, so like, I like, I, I like how my brother's kids, you know, they have hobbies like, like fixing bikes or having chickens or, um, my nephew, uh, works on his car and stuff like that, like things with their hands and, with nature, even though they live in a subdivision, a suburb of Dallas, um, I, I think it's possible in the modern context to have a life that's in touch with reality and nature and humanity in a way that's not simply virtual and digital, constantly like simulacrum of real life. You're actually living a real life because I, I do think that that's, that's the paradox is like not trying to go up to happiness or joy by like escaping humanity, but, but settling into it more, um, more humbly and in a more earthy way, like, like the farmer, uh, memorizing Milton while he's digging in the dirt and spreading manure. You know, it's like, that's a perfect image of having your feet firmly on earth, but your heart and mind pointed towards Mm -hmm. heaven. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's not, and God knows we we need that very badly, uh, like to receive reality rather than try to create a version that we prefer or we think is going to make us happier because reality is reality. That's it. Um, it's the only one we got. 
That's so cool to think about that farmer. That makes me want to memorize poetry. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Gosh, I I read Paradise Lost and actually that's not even true. Here no, you I go. I couldn't finish it. It's it's hard. <laughs> it it is hard. I had somebody read it to me on Audible. <laughs> that's smart. <laughs> yeah. I, I tried that with the Brothers K, but then I was like, I'm just not I'm not listening. I thought this would be easier because it would just like get it by osmosis, but now I don't know who anyone is. Oh, I'm I, sure with the Brothers K, yeah. I tried I tried Crime and Punishment on Audible and I couldn't do it. I think I finished. I actually read Crime and Punishment. That's a, a little shorter than some of the other Dostoevsky, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What was the one you mentioned the other day? The Death of Ivan Illich? Is that Dostoevsky? That's, that's Tolstoy. Tolstoy. Yeah. That's a... Oh, man. That's a wild book. That That's short. That's like 100 pages or something like that. Like the, but like the Mice and Men of Tolstoy. That's the one. If you If you want to be very firmly planted in the reality that when you die, very few people are going to care. Read the death of Ivan Illich. Um, dude, that'll make you live in reality. Yeah. <laughs> what a sales pitch. We should <laughs> seriously. Yeah. Is that on the back of the book? It should be. I read that thing during when I was on a quarantine for COVID, which is a bad oh, idea. <laughs> wow. Yeah, man. That's I went the into the, I went into the cave. I don't know if I came out. Dang. Well, hey, I want to share a little. Uh, I mentioned Father Paul Porter came over and uh, we got to hang out the other day for Labor Day, and we went just talking about like enjoying enjoying the 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 goodness of creation and. Uh, we were able to go on this awesome hike and this hike was called Raven's Raven's bald. Uh, it's up in North Georgia and it's got like tons of waterfalls that run, run along the trail. And, uh, at one point we had kind of scaled up through the side of the mountain and then cut up in through a crevice that was created through the waterfalls. And Rob, I actually thought of you because when we were out in Colorado, I remember when we climb that rock face and you were like dude y'all are stupid idiots you could have died and it wasn't oh, quite yeah. yeah you remember that yeah yeah um well we ended up making it up to the top and you kind of you had this mountaintop type experience where you're looking down at the waterfall and looking down at the valley that runs through and we had bought this big unnecessary overly sized fosters so they crack open those fosters and we're eating beef jerky up at the top. But the whole time that we were hiking and, and walking and climbing, like we were just having the most delightful, but also very mentally stimulating type conversation. And so it was this coupled uh, delight of enjoying creation, like right in front of us, but then also being able to talk about some of the higher things like the substantial things that were going on and enjoying friendship as well in the midst of creation. And, uh, we ended up going down into one of the waterfalls and man, we were, we were hiking in our bathing suits. So we hopped in our bathing suits, you know, took off our shirts and dove into one of the like accumulated little pool areas just beyond the waterfall and, and swam into the waterfall, which was, freezing cold mountain water and just stood underneath the waterfalls 
and just there's <laughs> like tons of people that are hiking this trail on Labor Day, and I I'm sure they thought we were insane people. They just looked down into this little gorge, and there's just two shirtless guys <laughs> underneath these waterfalls, and it's so cold. When you catch your breath, you just have to scream, and so we're both. <laughs> just down there screaming our heads off and in the water is so loud that yeah i can't even hear like i can barely hear my own scream but i have no idea like i don't know if they could hear it they just think we're two crazies that need a bath or something like that but it was just like the most delightful and reconnecting day hmm. you know it's like that uh the divine so wet willy there nice nice image i have not heard that here's here's a a question on that because that i mean that's cool yeah don't don't get me wrong and i love tread lightly rob i can see you guys doing it so lame but i that (laughs) doesn't sound like a higher thing to me i was like i don't know i probably wouldn't have had that much fun like doing doing that there's like a subjectivity to it there, yeah, I think I think where, that's fair. Where something like, and again, maybe we don't have time to get into this, but that's at least the idea of the classics is they kind of like transcend subjectivity in a certain way. Mm. So it's just a question there, hmm. um, because had I, yeah, I was, I don't know. I, I don't want to jump into freezing cold waterfalls. I'll be honest. It's you. You do you, man. You do you. No, I, I wouldn't say that particular element of it was. Right. But that's ex- what I'm asking. The experience, yeah, the experience as a whole. I do think it was. Um, you know, and I guess that's a particular instantiation of something like mm-hmm. um, going out to Colorado and having some of those beautiful hikes and just spending time solely for the fact of like out there enjoying creation Mm -hmm. and trying to receive it and enjoy it and delight in it. Like I think we're, we were supposed to. Um, And I do think there is something, I mean, maybe that's just a modern postmodern thing where we have to do that, where it would have been more naturally occurring, but that seems like a necessary, um, like a necessary higher good that yeah it would have probably organically came up more frequently but like i have to create that experience Mm -hmm. i have to actually choose to leave to go and have an opportunity to get plugged back in Hmm. um well there's a lot there's a lot there that's just sort of like good for your neurotransmitter life you know there's mm -hmm. uh, there's unexpected beauty there's surprise there's the communion of a good a close friendship where you feel like you can talk about anything and there's also like the privacy of being out in the middle of nowhere you can you can scream and play and um take safe risks and you know like do something hard and painful but that's also delightful and you know you, you get out of the water and it's hot and you're like oh that felt refreshing and mm-hmm. um but there is also, I think, higher stuff there, you know, like the kind of conversations you were having and, and also your own subjective experience of the beauty of creation and your own humanity and being like, there's something also kind of sacramental about getting in the water. 
like you see the waterfall and I've had the same experience in Colorado when I was out there for CPE, I would like sit in the hospital for, for 10 hours visiting dying people. And I would just like have to get out and I'd go up the Boulder, uh, gorge or Boulder Creek or whatever, and just get in the water. Sometimes I'd be, I'd be hiking around and I'd bring my fishing rod and stuff like that. And be like, I just want to get in that under that mm-hmm. waterfall. And it was freezing cold. It was all snow melt. And it was just like reminding me I was alive, you know, um, and that I didn't have to feel guilty that there were people stuck in fluorescent lit rooms with tubes in their bodies, you know, um, that might be me someday, but it's not me today. And, uh, I was able to be there with them for them, but here I am alive and God is here. And I don't know, there was something important to me in that moment to do that. What you're just describing, Mike is plugging in. I was by myself, although I did my tip, my brother Tyler came out and we did, did a couple of these trips, um, when he was out there. I was like, come look at these places. It's beautiful. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I think if I was by myself, I wouldn't have wouldn't enjoyed have it nearly as much. Hmm. I might have but gotten like you're, in. You're but... hunting, Rob. Like you, when you described, you wouldn't enjoy that. You know, I, I thought you sitting in a, a deer stand and hunting. Like mm-hmm. I feel like for you, that is probably a way to plug in to nature and to God and to the created world. But to me, that's very boring. And I, I don't like sitting there just getting cold in a tree stand. But I get it. You know, I think it's the same principle. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, but it. I guess my I didn't mean to like poke at the experience. I just meant to like kind of ask the question of like what what takes it to something. Like what what makes I, I don't this is what's sticking out. I don't know if this is exactly hitting on it, but what what is it about like the classics that allowed them to like kind of transcend certain elements of subjectivity Mm. right well because we would still say that they don't transcend all right so your question is more about the classics than it is about the actual experience yeah the higher things if you will right 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 because even there uh there is a element of subjectivity like there does have to be some sort of a context in order to understand the author. And, and like, I mean, it's put in like a language too. I mean, so there's that aspect of it as well. Right. right. Um, yeah. And I think about, I mean, kind of like the, I've always been so fascinated by how the blessed mother reveals herself to certain people. It's the same mm-hmm. blessed mother, but then it's so specific to them. Um, I mean, she's like, she's this great light that reflects the light of the Lord. Um, But then it's also in a way like revealed so that they can actually receive it. But I don't know the the classics, what makes them touch onto those transcendental levels. I, yeah, I don't know. Connor, you got anything for that? I was trying to, I'm trying to find this quote online of uh, La Cordaire. It was, I read it in a, a Priest is Not His Own by Fulton Sheen. It's in a book called Letters to a Young Man or something like that. I think it's La Cordaire said um, in response to this young man who was talking about his encounter with God and nature and the mountains and trees and stuff. It's like, I too enjoy the mountains and the trees and the streams. But I think um, you get to a certain age and you can enjoy only souls. Um 
and something like as you as you mature you know your body withers and you can't get up on top of mountains and under waterfalls and stuff like that but you can always love um and so i I think there's something to the classics of just um that it's the the human experience is what's universal you know like why we read certain books or um I mean, the Bible is one is obviously a classic. We say it's an inspired book. God is the co-author. It's the word of God. Um, but even if it weren't the word of God, you, you'd say billions of people have read this book and they've all found something that has let them come back. And, and here billions of people still to this day read the same book over and over and over again, year after year at mass. Um, and there's always something new. Uh, it's when you, I think, tap into, tap into something where like the soul is just plugged into God, you know, um, and those things that remind us of him, whether they're gable or a waterfall or uh, hunting or, you know, even a good conversation, um, watching your nephew kill his first deer or watch Porter mm. stumble through a freezing cold waterfall, like a Which is like, don't get me wrong. It's awesome. <laughs> that, no, no, no. That guy's an idiot. Uh, yeah, and that's what Kreef said in the interview about how do you know it's a good book. And I don't know if you would pin this to like the classics. But did Connor's audio, is your audio skipping? You can't hear that? Nope. Can't hear oh me. no! Gosh, his, his audio pooped out on us. That's well, right. just to finish the thought, yeah. the, he said that uh, uh, a good book is one that every time you read it, it, you get something new, right? Yeah, and so you can kind of read it, return to it, and that's definitely been true experientially. That is true. Follow Three Dogs North on Instagram. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisc, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.